When we lean on our own understanding, uh, we put ourselves in tough situations. And I, I think I've been in my fair share of them. Uh, <laughs> that's the, the struggle with me. I always viewed God as less loving and less gracious and more like this like firm, ironclad fist in the sky. Because of that, my failures drove me away from God instead of driving me to him. I thought of him as a God who was gonna crush me because I've messed up too bad. And I, I mean, I have a list of failures. One that I, you know, definitely had a very hard effect on me was coercing my girlfriend to get an abortion. This is The Deep End with Lecrae. You know, the, the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge me. And I think that we're not acknowledging God in a lot of things. I think we've, we've begun to adopt these, these kind of pieces of God's desires, but not ultimately acknowledging him holistically not seeing God for all of who he is and all of what he wants to do in society. We, we kind of take one side. Uh, you know, God is like a diamond. There's many facets of him. And we kind of choose the side of the facet of the diamond that we most agree with. When I'm talking about Christians, I create these kind of this grid, like this category, right? And in the, the top, you know, side of the grid, the top two corners, two quadrants, one of them you have love and you know peacemaking and service. Um, the other side you have humble excellence, right? And then in the bottom quadrants, you have distinction and firmness in convictions. And the other side you have transformation and and, and change. And so the Typically what you see in these, the people that you see in these quadrants, in the bottom quadrant, you're going to see like people who are passionate about distinction. We are Christians. You will know it. We stand firm on what we believe in. We are distinct. We don't do those things that the world does. And this is who we are. Or you'll see them as transformational as we're going to change the way society thinks about this. We're going to change the way this works and we're going to do things God's way. Up top, you have uh, in the love and service category, we're going to just love people. We're going to show them that God is love and we're just going to love them and accept them and be with them. And in this side of the humble excellence, you have men. We don't have to say anything, but we're just going to show them by our acts. We're going to do great things and excellent things. And people are going to say, wow, what is the motivation behind this? And they will know that God is good. These quadrants, the top and the bottom, are often at war with each other. They usually don't like each other um, because they think they're doing it the right way. The bottom quadrant, you know, if they're political, they usually lean conservative. The top quadrant, if they're political, they usually lean liberal. And they're at war, right? And if they're denominational, maybe the top quadrant is Methodist or or you know, something in that, you know, I don't know, in the bottom quadrant, maybe Baptist. I don't, you can just, you, you can go on and on. But they spend more time looking at how they differ versus 
how they should be used together. What's happening is the eye is telling the hand it doesn't need them. The hand is telling the eye it doesn't need them. The reality is these quadrants of distinction, transformation, love and service, humble excellence should all make a circle that looks like Christianity. Where they all meet in the middle is who God is. That's the character of God. He's not this quadrant, that quadrant, this one, or this one. He's all of them, and that's who we should be. Humble excellence, service and love, distinction, and transformation. And there's a time for them all, but when one aspect of that quadrant becomes highlighted, it becomes dogmatic. And when it gets dogmatic, it's irritating to somebody else, and it looks down on others. Because all it's doing is seeing the the gift of the body that God has given it and saying, if you're not like me, you're clearly wrong. All right. So this thing right here is an album. I know it. you may not know what an album is. It's like a thing that plays records. A record, in order to listen to it, you have to flip it over to hear both sides of it. Now, generally, the A side of the record is all the commercial hits, all the stuff that everybody knows. The B side is like the deep cuts, the stuff that most people don't get to hear, the stuff that's like, whoa. I wanted to be successful to escape dysfunction. Mm. So, so when I'm talking to somebody, I'm coming as the most authentic form of myself as possible. Now, I ain't for everybody, which is why God has so many disciples, because everybody ain't for everybody. There's a B-side to our worlds, to our lives, that most people don't get access to, that most people don't talk about, but we want to do that. And that's what the B-side app is. The B-side is a safe place to talk about the things that, you know, are on the other side of the record. Download the app and join the family. See you on the B-side. And that's what's happening. Is instead of them seeing like, ooh, I'm a distinction type of person. I struggle with this idea of love and service. Like, we should work together. Ooh, I'm a humble excellence type of person. I struggle with being vocal and transformational. We should work together. Let's all work together to demonstrate what change in our world looks like. Let's not just embrace one aspect and make a political party or make a, 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 you know, a diatribe or a denomination that just has our category. Let's work together to paint a picture of what God really looks like, who he really is. When you see Jesus in the scriptures talking to the Pharisees, he is going off. He is letting them have it. Why? Because they're lawyers. They know the law. Like he calls them lawyers because all they've done their whole lives is study the laws of God. He's like, no, 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 no. You know this. Okay, well, what does this say? Well, what does this say? And he's getting at them because they're using their understanding of the law to make ways in society. And it's, it becomes abusive. And so he's challenging them based off of what they say they believe. But when he's talking to you know, people outside of the 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 Pharisees and whatnot, he's more loving. He's like, oh, you don't even know this. You don't know this at all. So I'm I'm approaching you in a in a different kind of way because you struggle with feeling condemned. 
You struggle with self-righteousness. You struggle with condemnation. Let me show you that you are not as righteous as you think you are. And let me show you that there is grace for you and forgiveness for you. He's approaching them in two different ways, but he's still the same God. And so is this wrong? No. Is this wrong? No. But Lord, what season, what area does this need to be? I got a whole ministry called Unashamed, a whole movement of unashamed believers, 116. Why? Because it was built on distinction. We are distinct. and We are unashamed to be distinct followers of Jesus. Why would you have to be unashamed? Because people are ashamed. So we wanted to be distinct. We don't want to be ashamed of our faith. In hip hop culture, no one's like, yay, Jesus, we love him. That's not the case. So we were saying, no, we're going to be unashamed. If you can be unashamed about selling drugs, about prostitution, about selling bodies, about whatever, we can be unashamed about our love for Jesus. That's distinction. Were we wrong? Because we weren't just doing humble excellence and just rapping really well and there was no cussing. No, we weren't wrong. The humble excellence people may say, man, see, that's why they never going to win nobody because they just so volatile and brash. No, we weren't wrong here. We weren't wrong here. They're all a part of the body of Christ. And we have to be asking God, God, where, where do I you know, exemplify what aspect of this? Where do I do this particular part of it, you know, it's talking about leaning not on our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledging God. And I do think that when we lean on our own understanding, uh, we put ourselves in, you know, tough situations. And I, I think I've been in my fair share of them. Uh, <laughs> from leaning on my own understanding. And that's the that's the, the struggle with me oftentimes is I can be very cerebral and I can think I can read my way or learn my way out of something instead of just trusting God or trusting the simple thing that he said. Or I have this idea of God in my brain that may not be realistically his character. And so as I was talking about these these kind of distinctions, you know, or the quadrant and this, the transformational distinct characteristics of God, I think I always viewed God as less loving and less gracious and more like this like firm ironclad fist in the sky, you know, this like pound you down, almost like a wrestler, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the ultimate warrior of, of, in a sense. And I think because of that, my failures drove me away from God instead of driving me to him. Cause I didn't know him as a God who would accept me for failing. I thought of him as a God who was going to crush me because I've messed up too bad. Um, and I, I mean, I have a list of failures. Um, one that I, you know, I think that definitely had a very hard effect on me was coercing my girlfriend to get an abortion. Um, I was a Christian at this time. Um, been following God for about maybe a year or two. And I, you know, I I left school because I 
I wanted to kind of figure out this music thing. And I had some guys that I was doing some recording with and we were working on music together. And then eventually an opportunity came for me to move in. And I think that was the downfall because now I found myself in a situation where I, I wasn't around other Christians. I wasn't in an environment where I could thrive and grow. And I just kind of like, man, I, I put myself in the in the, the the middle of Babylon, so to speak. And I remember during that time period, my um, senses just were not as heightened. You know, the 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 funny thing about it is the less time you spend with God, the 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 easier it is for you to to be caught off guard. You know, the less time you spend with truth, the easier it is to believe lies. That's really what it comes down to. You're just spending so little time with truth that lies were easier to believe. And um I remember living in this house and little by little the drug use came about and then the the selling the drugs came about and and just little things that were like, well, you know, I got fired from my job, so you know, I'm just going to sell a little bit of ecstasy and see what happens and you know, a little weed and just make some money, promote some parties and just it's not that big of a deal. I'm not like killing anybody and and I really didn't see it as like a bad thing. And then I met this girl and you know, she was a sweet girl, sweet lady and you know, we are both coming from a lot of trauma. You know, her background was rough. Um, and so we, we, we connected, you know, kind of initially kind of doing drugs together and hanging out. And, um, you know, I think I was numbing myself to not hear the spirit of God tell me that I'm, I'm wrong. You know, I was numbing myself and, uh, and it's funny because I remember um, the first time that there was about to be some form of intimacy, and this is this is kind of funny. I won't get too detailed, but it was like the Lord was giving me a warning because um, we were outside in the grass, and you know, I remember during our little rolling around my hand was, felt like it was on fire. And I was like, what the heck? And it was ants just destroying my hand. And I was like, oh my God. And it was kind of like, I felt like it was the Lord saying like, hey, you need to chill out, bro. You need to chill out. I didn't heed that warning. Um, and then I had a dream and I, the Lord spoke to me in a dream. And, um, and in the dream, I still can remember like, purple figure just like it, you couldn't see the face it's just like a shadowy purple just sad you know and and the way i took that was like the spirit of god grieved and i was like what what is that like oh my i don't know what this means and and i felt like it was like hey you you need to get out of the situation but i i didn't listen and um i'll never forget it we Ended up getting a job. I got a, a, a part-time job at a call center, and we were outside having a cigarette break. We were outside smoking a cigarette, and she wouldn't smoke. And I was like, yo, you cigarette. She's like, no, I'm good. I was like, what? You always bumming cigarettes, asking for cigarettes? Like, the heck would you not want a cigarette for? This is weird. And uh, she's like, I'm pregnant. And I was like, what? 
And I just remember, like, it felt like my world ended. Um, because for me, I, I think I was like, nah, I, this is not what I planned on. You know, I got dreams. I got plans. Um, I beat so many odds. This is going to ruin it. You know, my mom had already told me some stuff and just like, hey, I'm not taking care of no babies. And just, man, the first person, you know, I beat these cycles. I get accepted in college. I'm I'm breaking all these generational patterns. And now I got this girl pregnant and I'm like, oh, man. I was like, nah, this can't happen. You know, this can't, this cannot happen. And at that moment, it wasn't about a baby. It wasn't about her feelings. It wasn't about anything other than my autonomy. And you cannot ruin my autonomy and the plans that I have for my life. You cannot ruin any of that. And, and I was at a place where I was like, yeah, I will take a life to keep mine. <laughs> um, and so I told her, nope, we get an abortion. Like there was not even a thought in my brain of like, we're keeping this child. Not even a thought. It was, nah, this is a wrap. And uh, whew, that wasn't in the cards for her. Um, she, was, she was okay with uh, having a baby. And I just was like, nah, you know, I got too much going for me. You know, I'm, I plan on going back to college and after the summer's over with and like, this is not in the cards for me. And, um, you know, she was more like very just into me, you know, like it was like, I, I think for her, and I don't want to speak on her behalf, but I, I think in that moment, me being with her was a big deal uh, because she had some insecurities and lack of father figure in her life and just the, the the idea of a man being there and it really this crushes me man even to this day as I think about it because I just did her so wrong you know I did her so wrong and um I've since like apologized profusely and just done my best to like you know I've looked for her I don't you know I, I catch wind that she gone out of the country and but anyway I said, nah, we're we're not doing this. And um, you know, we had a lot of back and forth about it for a while. And uh, I don't know how long, you know, days, weeks, or whatnot. Um, but it was like, I'm scheduling this, I'll pay for this, we're making this happen. And um, we signed up for the appointment. Um, I remember her being terrified, terrified. And we walked into that building, and for me, it was like, I don't care. Get this going. Like, make this happen. And, um, yeah, I remember her coming out of the operating room in a wheelchair in tears, you know, just broken. Um you know, she was depressed for a while afterward, and uh, and I stuffed it, you know, because for me, the most important thing was my autonomy, was my freedom, 
not her feelings, not the trauma I was inducing on either one of us, and not the life of my unborn child. Um, and so when you hear me rapping on Spread the Ops, and I say that I, I'll pray when I get to heaven, he'll forgive me, they'll forgive me, um, that's sincere because you know, I'm going to face a person that I deemed as not worthy to live so that I could live the life I wanted to live. And um, all that to say that crushed me. And I relate to anybody who bears that weight, who bears that weight of feeling like, what have I done? And can God ever forgive me for what I've done? Um, if you have taken a life, if you have, you know, been a woman who got an abortion, if you have been a person who's committed a crime against somebody that is something you can't fix, um, I relate to the pain. And the dark side of feeling like, man, there's no hope for me. Um, and I think for years I didn't, I didn't process that. Um, it's when I did process it that the tears came. Um, the struggle came, you know. And my view that God was this tyrant in the sky made me want to run from him because I was just like, if I, I understand why people don't want to accept responsibility for their actions because they don't have the categories to deal with owning responsibility. They don't have the categories. They don't even know if they have it in them to be able to like acknowledge what they've done. And so, so I'm, I, I'm never too hard especially on generations of like older generations who just were not raised with the emotional intelligence and emotional categories to process pain, disappointment, um, trauma and letdown because I, I didn't have those categories until I was much, until I was much older, you know, to sit across from my biological father and hear him basically tell me like he doesn't feel any type of way about abandoning, you know, his kids um, I felt sorry for him and because I realized something made you this way, right? Something, you lost something that gives you the ability to enter into that emotional state of remorse, of dealing with the pain. And maybe you think too less of yourself. Maybe you'll think you're so unvaluable. And that's why I couldn't acknowledge it. Because if I would have acknowledged what I had done, I would have felt unworthy. I would have felt less than human. And I would have felt like I was undeserving to even exist. And yet God, in his goodness, is, is saying, there's grace for you too. You know, he looks at the thief on the cross and says, I'll see you in paradise later on. He, he looks at Moses after Moses has taken a life and says, you're going to lead people. 
He looks at Rahab and says, after you've given your body away tons of times, I'm going to make you the ancestor of the savior of the world. He looks at David who murdered, essentially raped, uh, and cheated, um, and says, hey, you still a man after my own heart. You still end up in the Faith Hall of Fame. Samson's in the Faith Hall of Fame. I mean, what did Samson do right ever? What did he ever get right except for the last few moments of his life? And yet God saw that and acknowledged that. And it's not because Samson was a good guy and he did it right. It's because God is just good and merciful and loving, far more merciful and gracious than we are. Because at the end of the day, man, our thoughts alone can condemn us. We love to condemn other people, but man, our, our private thoughts alone are enough. So it took me a while to not feel beat up and to understand the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God, and to understand that even though I come from this worldview where, no, if you messed up, it's a wrap for you. Like, isn't that the whole point of the gospel? Is to forgive sinners, is to redeem them. And you don't know redemption until you have done some things that you feel like are unforgivable. And for God to say, I can redeem you, I can still use this, that's crazy. Like if I if I had this this cup right here and, and there's some water in it, but you see it. Like in a dark alley, it's beat up, it's dirty and dingy. And you know a, a dog might have licked out of it and it's just sitting in an alley. You are not drinking that water. No one can pay you to drink that water. But what's crazy is that redemption, redemption is God saying, oh, I'm going to take this water. I'm going to pour it into a bottle. I'm going to filter it. And I'm going to make it useful again. And it's if you see this cup in a dark alley, you don't want it. But if you're in a desert dying of thirst, it's the most amazing thing ever. That's that's God saying like you're not trash. You're not just here to be thrown away. Like you're wonderfully and fearfully made, and what is in you is still useful. It's still good. It's still necessary. Even though you have been spit on, stepped on, corroded, condemned, put in this dark alley, and allowed the worst of the worst things to take place in and around you, God is like, no, no, no. You're still valuable. You're still valuable. I'll redeem you. I'll take you. That's, to me, for a long time after, you know, coming to grips with what I'd done, Ephesians was one of my favorite books um, because it just, it talked about things like Ephesians 2.10, you're God's workmanship created for the things that he's pre-planned. Like God was not surprised at my actions. He wasn't like, I can't believe you did that. He was like, I knew that was going to happen before you were born and I hate it. I hate it. And I still love you. And I still have plans for you. So you can't accept that God has 
good plans for your life and not accept that he didn't already know about the dumb stuff you were going to do. Like you can't have one without the other. You can't be like, yeah, God has these crazy plans for me in the future. But if he knows the good he has for the future, he didn't know the bad you were going to do. He still has the good plans for you, even though he knew you were going to do that dumb stuff you did. He's like, yeah, I know that. And yet, I mean, Jesus is like, Peter, <laughs> Peter, I hear you, my dog. I hear you, my dog. But I just want you to know something. You're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, what are you? You don't know me, Jesus. You don't know me. Jesus is like, bro, trust me. And I still love you. And I'm still going to use you to transform the world. I mean, what type of God is that? What type of grace is that? It's mind-blowing to even think about. I want people to be free, right? I want people to be free, even though it's it may cost me um, the burden for other people's freedom is so strong. And I used to always battle when I would read Paul say stuff like, man, I saw heaven. And I want to be there, but it's better for me to be with y'all. I was like, Paul, you are crazy. Take me to heaven now. But now as I've gotten older, matured, and seen some things, and made so many mistakes, and God forbid I don't make more <laughs> in the same capacity, but I'm like, man, thank God that uh, you know people were still around for me to walk through some of the worst, most excruciating things I've ever experienced. Thank God. You know, I, there was a young guy that I was mentoring and he had an affair with a prostitute and it killed him. It killed him. And um, it's been probably... I don't even know, 10, 15 years since that happened. You know, he was freshly married, like just young. And he hit, uh, he reached out the other day and it was like, hey, I just want to apologize for what I did and such and such. And I was like, yo, you need to be free to that. Like, bro, you are not condemned for that. Like you face the consequences of it. You may have to deal with certain consequences of that for the rest of your life, but you are free from feeling as if that is the black cloud hanging over your head. That is not the way God sees you. And that's not the way I see you. I wish I would just see you as the person who did that thing and not as someone made in the image of God. And man, I want that for people. I want that for people. So I share because people see me in this great light like, oh, you're doing this and look at all this and da, da, da. And I'm like, oh, let me show you the dark side. So you can see like, yeah, God still uses us too. God still uses us. I done sat in, you know, prisons all across the world. I sat across from all types of people. I don't know what crimes they committed and I didn't care. I don't know what they did. And it doesn't matter to me because that's they're not what they did. They're who God says they are. They've got to deal with their consequences every day when they wake up in that cell. But at the same time, 
They may not be able to change the past, but they can change their future. They can change how they move forward. And that's what we're focused on is the moving forward part. So I want people free to move forward. And if I got to divulge hard things about my life for that to be a reality for other people, so be it. Because that stuff doesn't define me. And I don't want it to define you. But it it did. And I went through hell. And I, if I can keep people from avoiding the hell that I've gone through, the panic attacks, the depression, the just the trauma, the thousands of dollars in therapy. If I can help you avoid that, that's why I'm here. But still go to therapy.